Section 3 of the National Geographic Magazine, Volume 9, January 1898. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Modern Mississippi Problem by W.J. McGee. The great river of the continent has been the object of intelligent inquiry for a century and of scientific investigation for half as long. The earlier inquiries related chiefly to the river as a medium for inland navigation, and the problem of interior water transportation in America has wrought itself out largely on this river with its principal tributaries. The history of the solution of the problem is significant in its bearings on future industry and commerce. The canoe of the Indian and the perroque of the pioneer were followed by the scows, or flatboats, which marked the introduction of real commerce by means of the river. And before the introduction of steam, the custom grew up of building flatboats along the upper waters, lading them with coal, grain, and other produce, floating them with a current to New Orleans, and there abandoning them, while the shippers returned overland. About the end of 1811, the first practical steamboat on the waters embouching through the Mississippi suffered disaster during its first voyage in consequence of the new Madrid earthquake. But the utilization of steam power proceeded rapidly, and within a few years steam navigation was established and the river became a route for numberless craft carrying freight and passengers against the current nearly as rapidly as with it. Thus began the palmy period of the mississippi as a line of commercial activity towns were planted on the upper river and along the ohio and especially below the confluence columbus hickman vicksburg grand gulf natchez bayou Serra, port hudson and a dozen other towns whose names are half forgotten sprang up along the riverside and promised to become metropolis while the passenger packets became floating palaces representing the acme of luxury in american travel knowing nothing better merchants and shippers were content to endure the interruption of traffic by floods and were too dazzled by glowing anticipations to note the building of bars between their warehouses and the main channel or the undermining of their town sites by the ever-shifting stream then came the locomotive and railway affording the means of swifter and surer transportation and the river commerce began to wane, relatively, if not absolutely. A third of the river towns were deserted by the stream, a quarter were invaded by the current, and only a third or a quarter were reached by the railways and permitted to thrive under the new conditions. For a time the river held the balance of power between rival lines and modes of transportation, and thus controlled tariffs. Indeed, this is, in some measure, true today but successively larger and larger shares of the traffic were diverted. Recent statistics show that there is still a considerable transportation of coal, grain, and other bulky and indestructible commodities by the river, though the ratio of river carriage to rail carriage is steadily decreasing. Today the flourishing river towns are also railway towns and depend primarily on land transportation for their commercial supremacy. Today the old-time floating palace is but a memory, and today only two or five or possibly ten packets past the point where twenty passed a quarter century ago. Meantime, the inquiries concerning the great river have changed. 
Today the practical importance of the lower Mississippi lies in its fertile bottomlands and in the agricultural and commercial industries which they support, and since these are affected by floods and other fluctuations of the river, the water stages have become paramount as subjects of investigation. The researches concerning the regimen of the river began while it yet retained prime importance as a navigable waterway, and yielded one of the early scientific classics of America in the monograph by Humphreys and Abbott, issued in 1861. These hydrologists were concerned chiefly with normal conditions rather than abnormalities, with means rather than extremes. In their masterly treatise remains the guide of students throughout the world. The principles developed by them were subsequently discussed and applied by an important federal commission, while the problem of maintaining an open passage from the river to the Gulf for, for vessels of deep draft was solved experimentally by Eads in a manner eminently satisfactory to long-distance commerce. As the vast and fertile bottomlands attracted the planter, they were gradually reclaimed, the plantations extending quite to the river banks, and to meet local and temporary needs, at least in part in every case. The natural levees built by the river were raised artificially to protect plantations and towns. These levees interfered with the natural regimen of the stream in some measure. They checked the annual flooding of the bottoms, such as has enriched the valley of the Nile, and at the same time prevented the river from shifting to the lower grounds as its bed was built above the level of stability. In short, they initiated the transformation of the waterway from a natural river to an artificial canal. A direct and evident consequence of the change was to render the floods more disastrous when the stream burst its partly artificial barriers, and this led to a demand for building the levees higher and higher and extending them further and further along its banks. It also led to the recognition of the importance of floods as agencies affecting the material development of an extensive and rich section of the country. So the burning problem of the Mississippi today is not that of navigation, not even that of normal regimen as a great river, but that of the floods to which the stream is subject. Accordingly, certain researches of the Weather Bureau are most apposite and timely. The report in which they are made public is a straightforward and largely statistical presentation of the facts pertaining to the floods of the Mississippi, especially the notable flood of 1897. The material is arranged in four sections. The first relates to the river and basin, and sets forth the physical characteristics of the entire watershed as ascertained from various sources. The second section treats of normal precipitation and drainage throughout the basin as determined from the records of the Weather Bureau, which comprise practically all the meteorologic observations extant. Then follows the river and flood, which the relation between precipitation, including the fall and melting of snow, in every part of the basin and the ensuing floods is discussed quantitatively. The fourth section deals with the spring flood of 1897 and applies the principles and relations developed in the more general discussion. The text is amply illustrated by means of charts and diagrams. The discussions are brief, deductive in character, and limited to the exposition of the facts recorded. They do not, perhaps unfortunately, extend to the consideration of the levy problem 
or to that gradual increase in the frequency and height of floods indicated by the figures especially those of table twenty eight pages thirty four through thirty seven and undoubtedly attending the heightening of the levees whether as cause or effect or fortuitously indeed hardly a word appears in the report concerning the association of levees and floods which constitute one of the important american problems of the day the carefully drawn flood map plate two is especially interesting in view of the disasters still in the minds of patrons of the press and it is interesting to geographers as giving a bird's-eye view of features recording stages in the development of the region among these may be noted the linear arrangement of alluvial belts especially in the upper third of the embayment an arrangement strongly suggesting the initiation of mountain corrugation also the lifted area about new madrid which was heaved some twenty feet above the general level of the bottom during the earthquake of eighteen eleven through thirteen and to the diversion of the flood from the course of the river in large districts End of section three.